Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Hey, welcome back. We have a great show. This is the show we promised last week. Um, What we're going to be doing is a series of podcasts over the rest of this week. And what we're going to be talking about are the, is a, you know, the inevitable recession that might happen next year. You know, things are certainly looking that way. We're going to tell you specifically um, what to look out for as far as the phases of a real estate housing market correction. And so we're going to go through the first phases relatively quick. Um, and uh, Julie, I think I've unmuted you. Are you there? Nope, you are not. Hold on a second. Nope. All right. Okay. Here now, I am, now you're maybe? there. Yeah. Yep, I can hear you fine. So we're going to be going through the phases of the real estate market correction. And here's what I want you guys to do when we're going through this process with you. Um, We're going to present this information as dryly as we can because we want you guys to understand how to interpret this data for your own use, but also for when talking to your potential clients. So when you're listening to us present this today and tomorrow and probably the next day, um, take notes, okay, and really, really hammer down on this. We presented this material um, at a live event about six months ago and everyone loved it because what they thought we did what i you know was really thrilled to hear that they thought we did frankly is we cut through all the bullshit that's out there and cut got right to the heart of how to know exactly where your housing market is and the housing uh, and you know housing goes through phases market cycles all the rest of it so we're going to give you those pieces and parts but then most importantly what we hope to do um at the end of the uh presentation of the different phases is we want to tell you exactly how to prepare your own real estate practice for a market slowdown now before we get to this i'm going to give you guys a couple warnings um i don't know if warning is the right word well you know what warnings are the right word here's the warnings i would give you number one don't overreact Okay, that's, that speaks for itself. Number two, you know, in other words, don't just start digging yourself a hole in the ground to just go there and wait for the clouds mm-hmm. to, you know, form and the zombies to attack. Some of you have a tendency to overreact. But here's the flip side to it. Don't wait too long. There is a way to um, essentially what's the old Boy Scout saying, you know, preparedness, hope for the best, be prepared for the worst. That's the point of what we're going to be doing on this series of podcasts. We're going to do whatever we can to make it so that you guys can have the analytical sort of information that you need to feel comfortable um, knowing where and how to determine where your own real estate market is in the real estate cycle, in the market correction, call it what you'd like. And then we're going to also give this to you, this information with the idea that you are going to um, then be presenting this to your prospective buyers and sellers. Because that, my friends, is where the real consternation comes in. You can understand this because as we're going through this, it's going to be like, yeah, that makes total sense. But trying to explain this same thing to a seller who's basically been riding high on a seller's market for months, if not years, that really creates an interesting challenge. And then there's, of course, all the buyer's fears and trepidation of, oh, my gosh, I don't want to catch a falling knife. So we're going to be going through all that. So get ready to take great notes. Now, I want to offer this to all of you. We have um, been um, doing a series of interviews um, on behalf of EXP since the beginning of the year. The interviews have been some of, frankly, my favorite interviews I've ever done. Julie and I have been doing this podcast for years. Hey, Julie, uh, hit your um, noise cancellation button. 
And so we've been we've been essentially doing these uh, interviews. We've got another great one that's coming up tomorrow. By the way, Julie, I forgot to tell you that. And um, mm-hmm. the interviews them, the interviews themselves. The reason I've really liked them is because it's been all with these uh, what they call icon agents, and icon agents are agents that are the top of their game. And uh, the one tomorrow I'm really excited about. But here's the takeaway that I want all of you guys to have from these interviews. If you're interested in EXP Realty, which I know many of you are, I want you to know that you can communicate with me directly about it, and we'll have a confidential one-on-one coaching call about whether or not EXP is right for you. All you've got to do if you're EXP curious, as I like to call it, is just text me at 512-758-0206. 512-758-0206. There's certainly... In the 20 years plus that Julie and I have been in real estate, I've never seen anything that's had such momentum as EXP Realty. And a lot of you are probably, you know, very curious about why it is something you probably want to at least be considering. And uh, so please do consider having that conversation with me. It's 512-758-0206. Okay, Julie, I know you've been on, podca- or on podcasts. I know you've been on <laughs> yeah. coaching calls all morning because I've been listening to you. Anything you would like mm-hmm. to share from the far side of the real estate world before we yeah. get right into our first point well it's always great to talk to our wonderful elite coaching clients and between the two of us i'm sure we have it's got to be hundreds of calls and connections per week plus all of our coaches so it does give us a really great bead on what's happening in the country and it's not all the same wherever you are i in addition to that i did a lot of research this morning as you know in anticipation of these um podcasts and just keeping very updated that we all have to remember real estate is like the weather. It's very local. Okay. So just because you and I are expecting possibly a category one hurricane on Wednesday does not mean that that's going to happen in say Chicago. All right. So it's kind of like that. In addition, we also have to keep in mind that even in a market, like a micro market, you still have like a lot of what I read this morning was talking about how, there's been a great increase in first-time buyer traffic. It's about 34% of, of closings in the past two quarters and first-time buyers. Well, that makes sense. Interest rates have been super low and getting lower. Um, there's been a little bit more inventory there. There's more apartments being converted into condos and things of this nature. So you may be in a market where that's hot, but what's not is the upper end. So you can't just say, well, you know what, Uh, Indianapolis, it's a super hot market. Well, that's probably true up to a certain price point, and then it's not. You know, where we just moved from in Austin, if your house is over about a million, between a million and three million, there's like, I don't know, four or 500 listings you could choose from, not counting new construction. So sometimes those can have a thousand days on the market. And then you go down to 550, 600,000, and it's got less than 30 days on the market as an average. So you really have to know your stuff. I did a lot of research, so I can dig into a little bit of that if you'd like. But the point is, there are changes in the air. The question is, where is it happening in your market? And what are you doing about it? And don't expect it to be, well, across the board, I got to just have this one policy where I'm going to price in this certain way. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be a case-by-case scenario based on the neighborhood, the trends, uh, the price range, all of that kind of stuff. So we can get into that if you'd like. But, of course, it's all about change. Well, that is it. And it's easy to believe. Um, It's so funny, Julie, when you and I always say the obvious fact that all real estate is local. It's so fascinating that people forget that because they think, for example – you know, when they read uh, headlines on Inman News, for example, because Inman News has mm-hmm. become somewhat of a, I don't know, a tabloid of drama. It's like the TMZ of real estate. You know, it's 
I don't know, it's getting kind of thick if you ask me. But in any event, it's like there was a headline on Inman two weeks ago, you know, where Brad wrote the article. And he said, you know, in essence, the real estate market is Zillow. Okay, well, what does that really mean? So I dug into that. Like, we should actually do a show around that, of the hype. But here's here's an interesting little tidbit for you guys. And not this wasn't part of our presentation, but I researched this, for, you know, myself. And so Zillow's own uh, goal is within five years to be selling essentially 6,000 houses per year. And I think that was the number. And so within five years, the, five years from now, they want to be successfully doing the iBuyer operations for 6,000 houses a year. If my numbers aren't right, listeners, feel free to correct me. But I'm pretty sure I read that from an earnings call that they did, a transcript of an earnings call. So just to put that in perspective, in the nation, there's over 5 million. Um, I'm sure Julie probably knows. It's pro- I think it's 5.4 million home sales yeah, per year. So why the hell would you worry about something that's really so insignificant? It's insane. And then what? The hype of the title, of the subject line of the article was Zillow is the real estate market. How is that possible if from five years from now, they're only – basically they're – uh, their optimistic plans are to do 6,000 transactions per year. How is that even conceivable that that's even remotely true? It's not, it's even, barely, it's, you... it's not even 1%. It's like a micro percent. It's nothing. Right. And yet, and yet agents will email about it and they'll worry about it. So this is the reason I'm su- suggesting to you. I, have, I had an interesting conversation that happened uh, maybe two weeks ago where this guy wanted to join EXP. He was very, very successful he was a younger guy, and he was doing really, really well. He he was a typical, you know, came out of an environment where he thought he was supposed to form a team, and his team, sure enough, did a lot of transactions, but he didn't make a lot of profit, and he was talking with me about how he can start bringing profit into his real estate practice because he's kind of realizing the insanity of just doing transactions for the sake of doing transactions. And so we had a conversation, and he wanted to, you know, talk about EXP. We talked about that. And then towards the end of the conversation, he sort of asked me this question that really – I was kind of taken aback by He said, Tim, what makes you think that there will be any need for real estate agents in three to five years? Like he actually believed at his tender age in the business, you know, that there was some sort of, you know, apocalyptic thing that was going to happen that was going to take all of us out of the industry, you know, and it's some sort of tech, you know, tech-led revolution. And guys, it's all bullshit. You got to see it for what it is and call it for what it is. It's just hype. You know, that's all it really is. It, it's all this stuff that's entered into the um, real estate industry really in the past arguably 15 years is most of it's just Mickey Mouse and hype. As a matter of fact, one of the uh, uh, shows that I did finish writing, I don't know if you got that email, Julie, are essentially mm-hmm. the, sort of the top four things that you need to always be focused on in order to keep your head screwed on straight and not feel overwhelmed or not feel confused about what direction your life and business is going in. So that will probably be a couple of weeks from now. I finished that out with notes this morning, Julie. I sent it to you. Um, so, and when I say that, listeners, it means I sent it to Julie with a bunch of scritch, chicken scratches, and she has to make it into something legible. <laughs> That's how it works. Mm-hmm. I'm looking yeah, for so, that now. So yeah. that, <laughs> yes. You see it? Right. So here it is. We're going to talk about the phases of the housing uh, bubble and what to look out for. Now, I'm going to go through phase one relatively quick, but I'm presenting this information in such a way that you guys can do something with it, but also so that you can present it to your own clients. Now, the, so the information, the consumer information, and also the agent information is intermixed, and I know you guys are smart enough to know which is relevant when you're talking to a consumer. All right, so, Julie, I'll go through phase one. So phase one, now this is not, again, just so you can explain this, so you can 
when presenting to sellers, talking to buyers, so that you can have a sense of authority and confidence when talking about the housing market, okay? So here's what happens in phase one. Prices rise at an accelerating rate as factors like excess central bank liquidity, loose credit terms, hot foreign money drives up a virtuous bidding cycle well above the sustainable affordability levels. In the last five to six years, in many parts of the country, it's been referred to as a seller's market. So here's what you see in the real estate industry during a seller's market. We've seen this happen literally three times before. So big teams, mega teams, expansion teams, all the while not making profit. That's one of the first things you look for in the real estate industry are uh, this sort of drive for more transactions, and the conversation is never about profit. It's just focused on um, doing more units. That's a surefire way to absolute financial ruin when you're the person at the top of that you know, machine that's churning out all these uh, real estate transactions with not driving any profit. And some of you guys have really fallen prey to the belief that you will eventually someday, one day make profit or sell your real estate practice. You won't. You're following a business model that as soon as the market adjusts or slows down, if there's a substantial slowdown that lasts maybe three or four months, and that happens, guys, it's definitely happened before, um, you're going to be wiped out. Many of you are, are going to have to borrow money just to keep your businesses afloat. And while you know you still have time before that actual you know end of that uh, cycle really is, is clear, which we'll talk about in a second, you need to be making an adjustment. Okay, point number two in the mania phase, phase one, is buying buyer leads. We've talked about that endlessly on this show. The idea that some of you now are willing to give 35% of your commission to, say, for example, Zillow for a buyer lead is insane. Because buyer leads are free. Buyer leads are the easiest thing in the world to get. All you got to do is take one, two, maybe five listings, and you'll have to beat the buyers off with a stick. If you want to know how to, if you've got five listings now and you're not getting a lot of buyer leads, on your real estate signs, put a 1 800 home hotline sign writer. If you don't know what that is, just go to 1 800 home hotline.com and you will be able to have more buyer leads you can possibly know uh, know what to do with. 1 800 home hotline.com. Point number D, and this is something that we talk about too on this podcast, in the mania phase, agents spending money on branding and marketing. Branding and marketing, guys, is one of these things that you guys buy because it's sold to you. And remember what I'm about to tell you. The thing that we disdain the most about branding and marketing is anytime someone says you have to build your real estate brand, what they're really trying to do is, and it leads perfectly into the next point, is they're just trying to manipulate you through your ego. They're trying to make you believe that if you don't have some sort of brand, that people aren't going to choose to do business with you. You actually believe that people choose to do business with you because of your quote-unquote branding. Now, here's how you know it's bullshit. Because if you specifically tell the people trying to sell you the branding, and social networking, by the way, is mostly branding. When you ask those companies trying to take your money for the sake of building your real estate brand for actual tangible results, in other words, I did this effort, I spent this money, and I got this result, have you ever noticed that they can't do it, they won't do it? And the way that branding and marketing has been sold, not just to agents, but to everyone for the longest period of time, is also a bunch of bullshit. They'll say and that, Guys, this is what they tell you. Oh, it's not like that. It's not a, you know, I invest this and I get that. It's something that over time, the accumulative effort makes it so that mm. you have top of mind awareness in the communities and all the rest of them. Uh-huh. You see how that's just a bunch of Mickey Mouse? You can't hold anybody accountable to that. Oh, and if it's not working, which it won't, if the branding and marketing's not working, what's their solution? Spend more money. Point number E, letter E. 
agents spending money on things from the ego bucket. I just talked about it. So letter D and letter E could have been the same point, but the ego bucket is basically what most of you guys spend your money on, thinking that somehow one day it'll get you business. Here's another way of knowing whether or not you're uh, falling prey to the ego bucket. Are the things that are being sold to you or that you're finding particularly attractive to spend your money on, are those things uh, uh, directly tied to proactively generation or passively generation? Julie, what's the difference succinctly, quickly, between passive and proactively generation? Well, if you are being passive, it has the word wait in it. Just as if you're branding and it's not working, they tell you you haven't done it long enough or spent enough money. It means you have to wait longer. If you're buying leads and you complain that the quality is not very good, well, you know what? You just have to talk, make more contacts, get more impressions. You've got to wait for the quality versus being proactive where you could say call 10 expireds, all of whom have demonstrated a willingness to list and a desire to sell, and you're going to probably get three listings out of that if you're only okay with your script. Sorry, that wasn't shorter. No, it's fine. That's it. So proactive is the business that you go after yourself. In other words, your effort equals a result. And that's what we teach in our coaching program. And effort it's trackable. Results. And it's trackable, right. We're not going to ever prescribe to any of you doing anything where that's not going to be trackable. Some of you come to the coaching relationship with us and you want to talk about all this passive stuff. And the weeks, we'll ask you, this is the question that we'll ask you. How much money do you have saved? <laughs> what are your other passive sources of income? How long, you know, what's more important to you? How you perceive people perceive you? Listen to what I just said. How you perceive people perceive you or the actual number of people you're helping and the profit you're making? Most of you will say how you're perceived or at least that's how you're living your life. You're more focused on basically how people, how you perceive people see you. You see how you're being manipulated through your ego? It's terrible, guys. It's evil. It really, truly is evil. Whereas your really highest and truest purpose on this planet is being of service to other people. And when you're in service to enough people, this is the proactive part of what we teach, then you're going to essentially find that you're going to be driving a very profitable business and you're going to become rich where your money works for you and you no longer work for your money. So the rule is, the takeaway is, don't do anything passive. Literally, don't. many of you will never have to do anything passive because you're making enough money from being proactive. proactive. You, many of you have never been exposed to this line of thinking, and I appreciate that. Here's a suggestion for you. Go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or any place else that sells books and buy our book that came out in June. It's called Harris Rules. Harris Rules will walk you through um, literally A to Z about everything you should be doing on forming your real estate business. We skipped nothing. <laughs> there was no stone unturned. Mm, that's so go sure. purchase that book. And it's like 11 or $12 on Amazon. Come on now. All right, that, the next letter, which is the next point is uh, F, marketing reinforces not doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest levels. Uh, and that's really the bottom line is a lot of you guys are falling prey. And this is what happens in the mania phase one of the real estate market is people start believing that they're – and they listen to these jackasses that are telling them constantly, you've got to do video marketing. You've got to make yourself a celebrity. You have to make yourself an influencer. That same line of thinking has been in, uh, sold to real estate agents all the way back to the 90s in different forms. 
when social ne- networking came around, say, 07 or 08, I'm not talking about the stuff that was around before that, then you started seeing the old branding and marketing, which was focused on direct mail, which was focused on billboards and focused on that type of stuff, old media. Then you saw that same line of false, fake thinking then enter into the social networking game. People are still doing the same thing. Why is it that you guys are so susceptible to it? Why is it that doing passive lead generation seems so sexy? It's because you don't have to have any skill, but it doesn't work. Okay, You will spend all of your money. I just told you guys. It's insane to me. But what do you, most of you are doing? Some of you are buying – a lot of you are buying Zillow leads, and you're spending – and it's not just Zillow. We just used Zillow as an example. There's zillions of companies doing it now where they'll sell you a lead for 35%. So some of you guys are on these, say, for example, these 70-30 or these 80-20 splits or some of you are on 60-40 splits with your brokers, and then you uh, spend another 35% uh, with Zillow. Have you done the math on that, folks? That means that you're making 15 to 20% in your pocket after you paid your broker and after you've paid uh, for the buyer lead. Julie, you got to do the uh, noise reduction thing, please. You, you're doing – so ultimately, guys, what's happening is you're in a situation where you're losing all of your money and you're having no money left over, and that's before you actually paid your own business expenses and your taxes. So when you do five or ten transactions and you're wondering why the hell are you still financially struggling, why the hell are you carrying a credit card balance when everyone else is supposedly having their best years ever, supposedly, by the way? The answer is it's because you're doing the wrong thing to generate business. You're spending all of your money on ego stuff, and you're trying to hit the easy button. That's what you're doing. And I know that some of you are going to be mad. I read some of your comments when Julie and I you know, talk about this stuff. But here's the reason that we're saying what we say. Because we know what happens in a real estate recession, which is where we're going with this whole topic. We know what happens when the market slows down. We have received the coaching calls from some of you who are in panic mode because you have no money and you've now just spent all your kids' 529 plans if you had any in the first place. Where you've burned through where, you know, your home equity line, where you've run up your credit cards doing this latest marketing gimmick, and now you're realizing the market slowed down and you still carry the debt. Some of you, most of you, were not in the real estate business back in 07 or 08 or the two recessions before that that were notable, like the one after the tech boom or tech bust, rather. So you guys don't know what it's like. But trust me when I tell you, it is scary as hell. And if you're not financially prepared, and the only way, and it's only the only way you know how to form your business is by doing all this fakey jakey stuff, you're going to be out of the business probably in the next 12 months or less. So look, if you're pissed off by what we're saying, then be pissed off. But then ask yourself, why are you pissed off? Because you're the one doing the team. You're the one buying the leads. You don't want to hear what you're doing is wrong. You want someone to basically say, oh, that's great. Keep doing it. That's what everyone else is doing. It. But we're not going to because there's no integrity in that because we know what happens at the other end of that rainbow. So please listen to us. What's the harm in listening to what we're saying? It's going to cause you to be more profitable because you're going to hold the things that you're spending money on accountable to results. And here's something I wrote down actually this morning, Julie, which I thought was pretty good. Stop following the fake profits with the PH if you want to make profit with a P, right? Yeah. That's what so many of you have done. You're following these gurus. You're following these know-it-alls. You're following these internet marketing geniuses, and you're doing the Facebook marketing and the Instagram marketing, and you're doing the videos, and you're doing all that, and you're waiting around for the leads to come, and they haven't come yet. And, oh, God, you just have to spend more money and do it more and do it more, and still it doesn't come. All the while – 
you could have literally have learned how to say, for example, proactively go after your own business and not have wasted all that time. Why did you do it in the first place? Because they seduced you into believing that you could buy your business. They seduced you into believing that you could never have to deal with rejection. They lied to you. That's why. You know the reason they lied to you? Here's really drilling down. Ready for this? Because they know the probability of you being in the business in two years, because that's the average fail rate for most agents, the probability of you being around is about zero. So they don't care if they sell you a bunch of malarkey. You're not going to be in the business in two years to complain about anyway. That's this cold, hard fact. So you guys have to be thinking with as clear, practical, tactical uh, ways as possible to make it so that you're always focused on what your business is all about, which is making profit. Julie, you can get the next point. Well, so ironically – Everything we're talking about, whether you're in a changing market or a recession or not, is still how you should run your business, even when houses are selling themselves. Isn't that funny? It's just that when things are good and easy, you can make more mistakes and get away with more because the market covers up those mistakes. The flow of your cash flow, while things are good, covers up those mistakes. So be careful about that. And as you said, lots of emphasis on mindset, mystical things, very little emphasis on skills. That's one of the tenets of this particular phase. Next is that flat fee brokers and discount models, which claim to be revolutionary, are around. Even though those have always been in a, around in a hot market, they dry up probably first when things start to change, and we're already seeing some of that. Another, hey, Julie. Uh, Julie. Yeah. Go ahead. What? Yeah, read your, note, read your note in text. You have to lean forward. Oh, right. Okay. We're, so, guys, as I um, warned you a week ago, we're still getting our new. We, we just moved to Puerto Rico, so we're still getting our new studio fixed up. And I'm, I'm, we're, uh, we're solving uh, audio issues on the fly. So if we do the show live to. every day, so you guys are gonna have to trying to. So Julie, know you're gonna, live. you know, you have, you have to get out of the, you know. Okay. All right. So yeah, the flat yes. fee broker model. Here's your perfect example. Purple bricks come and gone, and there'll yeah. be a lot of others. Gone. And and those of, and Remember those of you guys sell? who are involved. Gone. Yes, right. Exactly. Well, they're still around. They just, you know, they're not prominent. But that's what happens in these uh, phases is you see all these discounters come around. Those of you guys who are at these brokerage that only charge you like a transaction fee or flat fee per month, how do you think those guys are going to stay in business once the market changes? They're not because no one's going to pay them. And so they're going to be out of business. So the reality of it is, guys, is the market cycles have always led to a lot of these flat fee type situations where these guys come into the market and the next thing you know, they're out of the market. That same thing's going to happen again. It's very, very predictable. Happens every single time. All right. So the next thing that starts happening, it's hard to sell, uh, hard to sell listings take, uh, takes weeks. Um, so that, what does that really mean? In a mania market, you're going to see houses, and this is a market that a lot of you guys have experienced, that did not make sense to sell as fast as they did for as much as they did, and they actually sold relatively quick. That happens in every, you know, the beginning, essentially in the mania market. People are willing to overpay for just about everything. Okay, that is the market, as I just described it, that many of you are just coming out of now, and you acknowledge that. That is the market that many of you are experiencing that is over, and many of you don't realize it's over, and you're still acting and spending, frankly, as if it were still going to go on and perpetuate, because nobody's telling you the truth about what happens in the market corrections. Okay, so now I'm going to go into, I'm glad I can get to this second phase. The second phase, or phase two, is called peak reality check time. Is the party over? Now, this is very interesting, because this is where many of you are. Okay, I'm going to read what we wrote, and then I'm going to – Julie and I will drill down. All right, increasingly jittery owners – this is how you know you're in phase two. So phase one was market 
irrational exuberance. Okay, right? You guys have heard that before. And agents spending money, agents doing dumb branding things, tech companies coming out of the woodwork, new real estate models, which are basically just rehashes of old real estate markets, of models which are all about discounting. All those markets, all those business models, they all start coming around in the first phase, which is mania. Now, phase two. Oh, now here's another element of phase one that we saw in abundance this go around, which was all this venture capital money and entering into, you know, the market. Now, in phase two, all those companies and all that money leaves the market, and it happens really, really fast. Phase two, increasingly jittery owners, you know, homeowners, attempt to sell before the potter, uh, party ends. Supply jumps as prices stagnate. Uh, and the inflection point is where the market could sell off again and it, it became uh, and would, could become a buyer's market. Evidence, the supply of homes for sale during the all-important spring market rose by three and a half times last year's rate. 30% of all America's 100 largest cities have more inventory now than they did last year. And mortgage applications for new home sales dropped. Um, it was something like uh, almost double digits year over year. Now, here's what's happening that's interesting. And this is the part that, you know, it's impossible to make heads or tails of. There's talk again of a lowering of interest rates, of another, you know, I won't get into the weeds on this, but what's called QE. And if that happens and mortgage interest rates drop, which I think they will, here's what we're going to see. And think about this, listeners. We're going to see the already entrenched homeowners becoming more entrenched because they're going to refinance and get lower rates. Now, what will happen then is you're going to see the inventory possibly tighten up. So there's variables that have entered into this housing cycle that we did not see in the last housing cycle. And the other thing that's interesting about this housing cycle, which, by the way, this is the reason we do not think there'll be a housing crash. Again, we do not think there'll be a housing crash. There'll be a housing slowdown. Is during the housing cycle, what we saw last time was all these mortgages started to blow up. All these people who basically couldn't afford their houses, uh, you know, they stopped making payments because they no longer believed that the house was going to continue to go up in value. We saw people with these ninja loans, no income, no job, nothing, you know, basically they barely could fog a mirror and they got a mortgage. They stopped making the payments. So last time, the housing market was essentially like a gambler's market in many parts of the country where people were buying solely for the idea that their house was going to be worth you know, more tomorrow than it was today. As soon as that belief left, then the um, housing markets crashed. Now, this go-around, I don't think that's going to happen because the people have more skin in the game. They were required until just the last maybe year or two, they were required to put down a lot more down payment. Now, Here's the part that makes me nervous, and I want you guys to be very focused on what I'm about to say. When we went into the last housing crash, the mindset about foreclosure and essentially defaulting is, was completely different than it is now. So many of you, Julie and I are in our 40s, many of you grew up you know, with the idea that homeownership and owning a home was the American dream, right? And many of you you know, if you're our age, and I don't know if it's so true with the younger group, frankly, believe that the worst thing ever was to have a foreclosure. To have a foreclosure means you are like a, you know, a social piranha. You guys remember that way of thinking? I mean, it was a long time ago. Now, what happened after the last uh, housing crash is people started doing something called strategic foreclosures. There were whole businesses that were set up helping people do strategic foreclosures, walking away from their mortgages and all the rest of this. That cycle that whole process has completely changed the nature of how people see their housing debt. It has. You can sense that when you talk to people. 
People now look at a housing at a mortgage as a risk obligation opposed to an obligation. And if all of a sudden that risk is uh, now against them, in other words, if they don't believe that they have uh, equity, on, there's no prospect of having equity going forward, and if they can get out of that house and then they can uh, lease or rent something um, and, and their equity is wiped out, they're going to do it because that's what happened last time. So if we see, and this is what we, Julie and I are watching, and you need to watch it too, if we see that home equity, in other words, someone who required to put down 10%, but the housing and, and their, you know, their 10% is wiped out from depreciation, if that happens, trust me, listeners, when I tell you, you're going to start seeing people starting to do strategic defaults again because they know how to do it, because legally they can do it, because the whole system is set up through short sales and whatnot to allow people to do it. So if you see the equity in your market get wiped out, or equity in portions of your market gets wiped out, the dominoes will fall so fast you won't know what to do with it. I haven't seen that. There's no evidence, no reports anywhere of there being any sort of like massive home value loss. Now, I'm not including the upper, upper end, the highest end of the markets, you know, the Greenwich, Connecticut's where the homeowners are oftentimes losing millions of dollars. I'm not talking about those markets. I'm talking about the bulk of the, you know, housing in the United States. No big reports of value loss. But here's what's interesting. Lots of reports of housing being overvalued, okay, being overvalued so that people can't hypothetically even necessarily afford to make payments if they lose their jobs. And that's the other thing that's interesting about this go around with a hypothetical recession is if people can't make their payments but they have equity in their house, that then is going to explode the short sale market because people are going to short sale so they can walk away with something. We're going to talk about all the stuff, the opportunity that a market adjustment creates. We're going to talk about that probably uh, later this week or um, hopefully later this week or early next week. And I say hopefully because they're expecting a, we're expecting a hurricane towards the end of this week in Puerto Rico. Our first hurricane while living in Puerto Rico. So, yeah, be excited for us. It's supposed to happen Wednesday and Thursday. So if we're not live on Wednesday or Thursday, you guys know why. So listen, this is the bottom line takeaway from this. These real estate cycles are very predictable. They've happened before. They'll happen again. But it's, it's really crazy that the exact same sort of uh, conversation happens time and time again. There's nothing new. You think the technology and all these, you know, whiz-bang discounting, you know, uh, tech companies and real estate and CRMs and marketing and social media, you guys think all that's new. It's not. All it is is a rehash of something that's been around. And it all has a predictable outcome of what happens when the market starts to adjust. What our job is as your coach or future coaches is our job is to make it so that you are fully aware of the ramifications of the decisions that you make as pertains to your real estate business because it matters. And if you're making a decision to do something passive with your lead generation, if you're making a decision to spend more money, if you're making a decision that you're not going to take profit out of your business because somehow magically five years from now your business will sell or that's when your business plan calls for you to make profit or you want to do an expansion team or some of these other things, you can make that decision, but you need to make that decision knowing the risks, which many of you don't. And that's what we're here to do. We're here to be the counterbalance for the entire real estate, the insanity of what's going on in the real estate you know, market in the terms of you know, your lives and as far as real estate practitioners, real estate business owners. We are trying to counterbalance all of that. We're trying to be the, the voice that's going to say, hey, guys, listen, understand, this is all this stuff that you're doing. 
the marketing, the, this, the other thing, all the stuff we talked about. This is, this is what happens when you follow that path. Is that the path you want to follow? And some of you, they'll say, hell yeah, I'm, I, I, that's good. I don't necessarily need to make a bunch of money out of my business. I get other levels of satisfaction from running a business, even though my profit is less than 10%, because I enjoy you know, forming a team. I like doing the marketing. It's, it's a creative outlet for you. Well, I mean, if you're running a business and profit's not your primary objective, that's your decision. Those, generally speaking, are not the types of people that sign up for our coaching program. So, look, if you guys are ready to take the next step and learn more about what we're offering as far as coaching, it's very simple. You can do one of two things. You can just go to freecoachingcallsforagents.com, freecoachingcallsforagents.com, or you can just text the word Harris, H-A-R-R-I-S, to 31996. You can just text the word Harris to 31996. In the meantime, guys, if you need me for anything, just text me directly, 512-758-0206. Have a fantastic day, and we'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris.